The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Ah, oh, boy. Oh, man. The, the tough part about being like caught up on episodes, more or less, is that we recorded yesterday. I have no new banter for you. No. Nothing has happened since then. All I could talk about is like, oh, I recorded a podcast episode yesterday. No one cares. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to hear about your damn podcast. <laughs> oh, no. That's real. It's the last thing our listeners want to hear about. <laughs> What's going on about our podcast? That's real, though. I, I don't know. There's something about having been in the world of self-promotion for so long mm -hmm. that I'm like so burned out on it. And I'm yeah. like, nobody cares about your dumb projects. Nobody and then care. someone asks and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do this project. And they're like, wow, cool. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? You want to know? I don't know. <laughs> I always do that. Like not to name drop this constantly, but I worked a little bit on the show Stranger Things mm -hmm. when I was doing props on set. And you know, that show excites people. Mm -hmm. And also, like, you know, it's name droppy. Like, I'm not going to walk into a party and be like, hey, everybody, I've got stories for you. <laughs> because I assume people like, you know, they don't care. They want to hear about my work day. Mm -hmm. But then someone will randomly be like, oh, I wanted to ask you about it, but I figure you're sick of talking about it. And I'm like, mm. no, no, I'm actually fine talking about it. I thought you were sick of hearing about it. And we end up just not saying anything. See, Sometimes it's best to just talk about it. Yeah. Well, hopefully you all, beautiful, wonderful, talented listeners are out there schmoozing for us. Yeah. Telling everyone at your parties about our show uh, because we, we, we'd we love to have them. We'd love to have your friends in here, too. That's right. So don't We're forget. We're all friends together. Talk it up. <laughs> talk it up. Never, ever, ever stop talking about ridiculous romance. Uh-oh. I want you to make it. Your entire personality. Whoa. I want you to lose friends because you're the person who never shuts up about that <laughs> podcast you listen to. <laughs> you're wishing some bad futures upon No, no, no. It's, it's better for them. Oh, you sure? You didn't need those friends anyway. Oh, okay. Bad friends. You have us. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Eli's really trying to encourage the parasocial relationships here. Look, if it gets us those, those sweet, sweet downloads. <laughs> I'll do anything. Oh, Lord. I'm Can you tell our renewal is coming up soon? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, today's episode is fun. Yeah, it is. A uh, little trivia mixed in here. Uh, some classic television stuff we haven't been to in a while. Not mm -hmm. since, oh, geez. I mean, we've done some movies in Hollywood and stuff, but like 
you know, these these TV royals we haven't gotten into since like Desi and Lucy, I feel like. I guess not. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's such a cool world. Mm-hmm. And I figured, you know, given the subject of today's show, we need to adjust our format a little mm-hmm. bit. OK, so okay. Diana, you're up. I want you to go ahead and choose a category. Um, I'll take ridiculous romance for 500, please. All right. The idea for this popular game show, known for giving contestants the answer and asking for the question in response, was created by a husband-wife team in 1964. What is Jeopardy? That is correct. (laughs) Yay! Hooray, and that means you're going to win a copy of our home game. Oh. Ridiculous Pursuit. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, that would be a really fun game. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, please. Someone develop a board game around our podcast. (laughs) We'll put it in Ridicucon. We'll have Ridiculous Pursuit game with all the shows. Oh, my God. (laughs) You could land on like a side piece space. They have a couple of those around the board. I like that. Right? I like that. I don't know how the mechanics work yet. Game developers, get at me. Well, yeah, we'll work on that. This is a new idea. But today we're talking about Jeopardy, which is probably the most popular game show ever made. It's famous for its inverted answer question format. But the show's creator, Merv Griffin, he didn't come up with the idea all by himself. Mm -hmm. Once again, like Lucy and Desi, TV history was made by a couple that found each other at the perfect time and came together to create a legacy that would change the industry forever. So let us do this action. What is go? Yes. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. Okay, so before we can get to Merv and Julian Griffin creating Jeopardy!, First, we need to know where the show came from. And you know what that means? It means before we settle down into something serious, we're going to take a quick fling with history. Just answer the question. In 1938, both the first radio and TV game shows were broadcast. On the radio, the show was called Information, Please. <laughs> and it's kind of the standard panel quiz show with funny answers, like a Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, on TV, the first game show was a British series. There's only about four episodes. It was called Spelling Bee. It was actually adapted from a radio show, and they just put it on camera. And this show was where contestants competed against well-known celebrities in just like your usual Spelling Bee format. Sure, classic. Also, four episodes in Britain. That's a, that's know, a long-running right? series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, season two might come out any day now. <laughs> so, of course, you know, these were big hits, and by the mid-1940s, TV game shows were starting to get really popular. But they were all still pretty, like, low stakes, kind of silly jokes and prizes. Mm-hmm. Nothing major. You know, you win a box of rice aroni, you win <laughs> a, a new pillow, Sure. Nothing Nothing life changing. Yeah. But then in 1954, the Supreme Court ruled in the case FCC versus American Broadcasting Company that game show giveaways were not considered gambling and that the shows could give away as much money as they wanted as long as the contestants didn't pay any of their own money into it. So this changed everything. And suddenly the networks were like, great, let's bring out the thousand, ten thousand dollar prizes, even bigger and really get people excited about the stakes here. Uh, High stakes quiz shows like 21 and the $64,000 question suddenly became all the rage. But then in the late 1950s, a series of scandals rocked the quiz show world. So TV, you know, is just beginning to really take root in American culture at this point. So people were still kind of innocent about it. Whatever they saw on TV must have been what was really happening. Of course. It's happening in the box in my living room. Obviously. I can see it right there with my own eyes. TV never lies. (laughs) But obviously we know better now. All that high stakes TV was incredibly staged. Producers would script episodes. They helped popular contestants win so they could come back. Or even the opposite, they would try and trip up contestants that they thought were boring the audience so that they wouldn't win. (laughs) And they had to keep putting them on TV. Damn. I mean, you know, it, it sounds very much like how we know reality TV to operate today. Right. right? Absolutely. Reality TV is some of the most fake shit yeah. <laughs> in yeah. the world. It's incredible. 
Some of us may remember Dr. Joyce Brothers, the famed psychologist. For example, uh, History.com says she won a few times on $64,000 question, but they felt like her streak was not good TV. Uh. So they tried to stretch questions out into categories that she wouldn't know. But she won anyway because she's a <laughs> smart right. lady. <laughs> But in 1957, there was this kind of awkward, nerdy-looking guy named Herb Stemple who had been dominating in the game 21 week after week, just cleaning him up. Mm -hmm. But then this clean-cut, handsome TV type named Charles Van Doren came in, handily beat Herb. And the show then turned Van Doren into like an American hero and celebrity. He became the new reigning champion. And historian Maxine Fabe said Van Doren was, quote, too likable, too special, too important an icon to the American dream of success to fade from view. And it turns out the producers were actually coaching Van Doren before every taping session of the show. They would tell him everything, uh, and not just the answers to the questions, but like when he should pause and think about it or when he should like wipe his forehead when he wow. was sweating too hard. Like, here's where you need to really start sweating, Mr. Van Doren. <laughs> this question makes you nervous. <laughs> yeah. Show me nervous. And at this one, you're going to have to get up and go pee while you think about it for a while. <laughs> so it turned out that all of this was completely choreographed and staged. And it wasn't just Van Doren getting coached. That nerdy guy, Herb Stemple, he was told by the network that if he threw the show and lost, they would give him a high salary job. Oh, wow. So even though his like big question versus Charles Van Doren was about his own favorite movie, Marty, Herb pretended that he didn't know that it was the best picture winner that year. He got the question wrong. And now Van Doren was the new champion. Well, guess what? When it came to it, the network did not give Herb that job. Aww, so obviously, me. he was pretty pissed that he'd yes. thrown his fame in the trash and also didn't get a good job now. So he started talking to reporters, talking to the police. You know, at first, nothing really came of it. NBC was pretty good about burying this kind of stuff. No way. Yep. <laughs> but in 1958, reporters got a hold of his story. Evidence started to come up. And soon the public and the DA of Manhattan were all made aware of what was going on here. Now, technically, nothing that NBC or the game shows were doing was illegal, but they held all these hearings on it. And during the hearings, grand jury estimated that two thirds of the witnesses they questioned lied under oath, including Van Doren, who later admitted to it. And this, of course, was illegal. <laughs> They're like, we want to ask you about something you're doing that's not illegal. And everyone's like, I'm going to quickly break the law. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, everybody avoided jail time, but there was a bunch of fines, bunch of trouble. Mm -hmm. And then in 1960, this caused Congress to amend the Communications Act of 1934. And this made fixing game shows quite illegal indeed mm -hmm. from that point on. Uh, you might have heard this story because you might have seen the 1994 movie Quiz Show, directed by Robert Redford. Uh, this was all about this story between Herb and Van Doren. Uh, John Turturro played Herb Stemple, and Rafe Fiennes played Charles Van Doren. Uh, we pretty, have not seen this. We need to watch this movie. I know. That's pretty yeah. good casting. I, it's supposed to be one of the greats. Like It's supposed to be just a really good. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I've definitely watched this. Yeah. So, spoiler alert for the 1994 quiz show movie, but that's what happens. <laughs> Guess what happens? <laughs> but ultimately, you know, the law changed, but the really the biggest thing about all this was public trust in these shows was gone. The people, the American public was shocked to learn that what they were seeing with their own eyes on their own TVs in their own living rooms might not be true. Just heart attacks oh. all across America. Oh. Broken trust. No one was going to come back from this. They rejected big dollar quiz shows after that. Ratings dropped. Shows were canceled. It was crazy. Mm. But that all brings us to our central romance, Merv and Julianne. Now, born in 1929, Julianne Wright wanted to be an actress. So she moved to New York City after high school. She said in an interview with FullVanaReview.com in 2016 that a lot of the jobs she had at the time don't even exist anymore, like operating an addressograph, oh. which basically prints addresses on envelopes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> probably a probably a, a, that machine is probably the size of a room. I, yeah, you know? right. <laughs> now it's the size of my palm. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, in 1950. Julianne was working as a secretary on the Robert Q. Lewis show, and she had to bring Robert Q. Lewis a cup of coffee on camera. Now, of course, Julianne's wearing heels. She's extremely nervous. 
So when she walks out on stage, she spilled the coffee everywhere. (laughs) And Lewis sent her to a microphone and asked her, why'd you spill my coffee? She said her balance was off because she, quote, lost two pounds last night. (laughs) When Lewis asked her how she lost two pounds in one night, she said, quote, well, I wanted to lose it. And I knew if my body temperature went down, I would. So I slept naked with the window open and snow coming in. Which the audience thought was the funniest damn thing they ever heard. <laughs> it was a different time. It's a different time. I know. I was like, I didn't feel the need to laugh. But uh, hey, they, know, it really worked for them. Comedy was different back then. It, it worked. They were like, who would have the snow coming in, I guess. Right. Or they were like, a lady can ha- be naked. Whoa. Whoa boobs. <laughs> Implied boobs. Um, <laughs> At any rate, she got huge laughs for this. And Robert Q. Lewis was like, "Okay, star power. So he started bringing her on the show regularly. Mm-hmm. Now, Merv Griffin was born in 1925 in San Mateo, California. His father was a stockbroker. So Ooh. 1925, you can imagine things weren't great for his family when he was young. Mm-hmm. As a kid, Merv would sell magazines door to door to earn money for the family. He also played organ at his church. Merv was actually a really talented musician at a young age, and by age 19, he was singing on the radio. Hmm. He was drafted for World War II, but the military rejected him because he was overweight and had a heart murmur. Hmm. His fame kind of turned against him as a radio singer because when fans saw him in person, they were like incredibly rude that he didn't look like they thought he would, that he was an overweight guy instead of like Mr. Handsome, you know? Hmm. So he sounded like a sexy Frank yeah, Sinatra type or something. Yeah, I think they were picturing, yeah, exactly. And they were like, that's not what I thought. Yep. Mm, that's rude. He said to New York Times in 1962 that, quote, because of my weight, I had to hide. Listeners would write romantic letters in to the radio station, but the network kept me a mystery. Oh, wow. When he first started on TV, he said they would do whatever they could to hide him. He said, quote, their favorite device was to use me in a beach number. I was always singing behind an umbrella or a waterfall. Just brutal. God. I mean, you know, talk about image issues on camera. They've certainly been around since cameras have been around. Mm -hmm. He said he was so embarrassed by all this that he ended up taking a year off and he lost 80 pounds in four months. How? Sounds unhealthy. Yeah. It probably put some strain on his heart, I feel. He already had a heart murmur. That's probably a bad idea. But whatever. Maybe he just ate right and exercised and managed to drop it all. Either way. By 1945, he had enough money to start his own record label. And he started singing in popular nightclubs across the country. So in 1950, he sang with Freddie Martin's orchestra and recorded the hit song, I've Got a Lovely Bunch of Coconuts. Oh, wow. Classic. Made famous by Zazu. Zazu, of course, (laughs) in his bone cage. Uh, This song sold three million copies, but Merv only made 50 bucks. What? Which is around $600 today. Oh, man. That's really not that much for three million copies of a song. Damn. It's like streaming service numbers. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> then Doris Day was at a nightclub where he was singing and insisted to Warner Brothers that they give him a screen test. That led to supporting roles in a few musical films, including So This Is Love in 1953, in which he scandalized America by sharing the first on-screen open mouth kiss with Catherine Grayson. Oh, my God. Open mouth. Fainting in the audience. Tongues. (laughs) Vomiting outside the theater. (laughs) They're shaking and crying. (laughs) What is the world coming to? (laughs) It's basically pornography. (laughs) Next thing you know, they'll be open mouth kissing horses on camera. (laughs) Oh, my God. Someone definitely said that. Oh, yeah. But it turns out that Merv Griffin was not that into the movie biz. Uh, He bought back his contract from Warner Brothers and decided he was more of a TV guy. And that led him eventually to regularly guest starring as a singer on the Robert Q. Lewis show, where he would meet the lovely and talented Julianne Wright. We'll learn all about that coming up next. So don't go away. We'll be right back after these messages. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Welcome back to Double Jeopardy, where values are doubled. <laughs> uh, this is always the most exciting part of the show to me. Double <laughs> yeah, Jeopardy. Like, yeah, it's really anybody's game at this point. <laughs> they always say that. Uh huh. <laughs> They're like, it's really not anybody's game. It's one person's game. <laughs> you never let more than one Look, person win. Yeah, the the person in dead last can win in Final Jeopardy. That is true, and I do like. I appreciate that about some games when you're like, I'm doing poorly, but I know. The Anything values go up and there's still a chance. Yep. So even if you're behind early on, you got to keep keep hope alive. Right. <laughs> Unlike real life. I know. <laughs> Just give up now. <laughs> so Julian Wright was now a regular part of the Robert Q. Lewis show. He was this classic 1950s, like horn rimmed glasses comedian. And she was the perfect goofy foil to him. She said, quote, he brought out the worst of me and we always got laughs. We ad libbed for years. <laughs> She said it really changed her perception of famous people, too, because she was a secretary. She used to bring all these celebrities coffee when they came on the show. But now that she was one of their peers, she was seeing that, quote, they were just regular people. Celebrities. They're just like us. Just like us. Julianne said that she even saw some big actress come onto the show who was so nervous before she went out that Julianne had to show her to the bathroom so she could puke beforehand. Jeez. She's like, oh, my God, this this, you know, movie star, this queen of glamour. And I'm showing her where she can puke because mm-hmm. she's so scared of going on TV. Julianne also had a big crush on this actor, Dick Hames, who was the star of a movie called State Fair. But he came on the show and before he went on camera, his crown tooth came off. (laughs) So she had to use her clear nail polish to help him stick it back on. (laughs) She said, quote, I thought here I am. My heart would flutter when I saw this guy and now I'm putting his tooth back in. (laughs) (laughs) It does demystify them a lot, doesn't it? But then came the singer Merv Griffin, who Julianne said had, quote, a gorgeous voice. Merv would laugh at everything Julianne said, so they hit it off quickly and became best friends before long. I get it. Uh, I would be your friend if you laughed at everything I said. Right. (laughs) I'm like, this, I need to hang out with you. Then Merv poached Julianne to his own show in 1956, which really pissed off Robert Lewis, and he hated Merv for years. Oh, damn. But Merv and Julianne's friendship soon turned to romance. And in 1959, they got married. Later that year, they had a son, Tony Griffin. Things were just getting better and better for them. Merv was hosting a few shows on his own, including a few game shows. 
Now, because of all the recent scandals, the public didn't want anything to do with high-stakes quiz shows. Right. Industry surveys said between 87 and 95 percent of viewers knew about the quiz show scandals and did not trust them anymore. Damn. Um, which is a huge... That, I mean, I guess that I, shows everyone, how right? much the news was like, there's one thing you got to know about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now it's a little bit harder <laughs> to get everybody on the same page. So most of the big quiz shows were canceled. Game shows became more about small prizes, matchmaking, like our favorite, the dating game, um, or celebrity panels. And Merv hosted a few of these. He even filled in on The Tonight Show after Jack Parr retired and before Johnny Carson took over. Okay, not a bad gig. All right. But in 1964, Merv wanted to develop a new game show. Merv and Julianne were on an airplane when she told him that it had been years since a good quiz show was on and maybe it was time for the industry to try again. But Merv, you know, explained to her audience still didn't trust those kinds of shows. They thought all the contestants got the answers ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So she said, quote, then come up with a show where you give them the answers and admit it and then make them come up with the questions. Ooh. Now, Merv, who knows a good idea when he hears right. it, is like, go on, uh-huh. tell me more. Say more. Uh-huh. Julianne explained in her interview, quote, so I said, the answer is 5,280. And Merv said, the question is how many feet are in a mile? And I said, the answer is Kathy Fiscus. And he said, what's the name of the little girl who fell in the well in the 1940s? She said 221B Baker Street. He said, where does Sherlock Holmes live? Ugh. By the time the plane landed, they had a show. I hate to say it, but if you said the answer is 5,280, I'd be like, <laughs> You would have number? no idea. An <laughs> arbitrary number? <laughs> <There's> a... <laughs> Merv knows more than me. Number of days <laughs> it's going to take before I get this one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, Merv only had one concern about this format and that it was that there wasn't enough tension in the show to keep it interesting. So mm. Julianne said, quote, why not take money away when they get the answer wrong? That'll put him in jeopardy. <gasps> Boom. Say that one more time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you were making this into a biopic, it would feel unrealistic. I know, right? But it is. That's so cute. I love that story. Yes, you're totally right. That'll put him in jeopardy. What did you just say? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. I'd be like, mm, not true. Can't be. <laughs> Can't be. He's sitting on the plane just humming. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's catchy. <laughs> he actually, side note, uh, Merv did write the song for that as a lullaby for his kid originally. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And then jazzed it up and made it the Jeopardy theme. It's oh. called Think. And it's not in the public domain, and we're not going to pay for it on this show. So you're That's not going right. to hear it today. <laughs> you just have to play it in your head for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they had this great idea. Jewel Ann and her sister Maureen built model sets in their kitchen while Merv designed the layout of the game board. Jewel Ann said the executives at NBC were worried that the show was too hard for people like me who don't know <laughs> about 5,280 right. or whatever. So they kept kind of dumbing it down for me. And eventually <laughs> NBC picked it up without even shooting a pilot episode. They were just like, let's do this. And the show, of course, was a wild success. It first aired in 1964 with host Art Fleming. Its first champion was a witty 26-year-old Southern woman named Mary Eubanks, who was given the final Jeopardy answer, quote, Good night, sweet prince, was said to him, to which she responded, who is Hamlet? And she won $345. Oh. That's only about $3,000 today. But Mary said it was enough for her to go and see every show on Broadway while she was in New York. <laughs> Lucky Mary, you could know, not right? even get a ticket to Hamilton for $3,000. <laughs> she did say that in her interview. She was like, Broadway was cheaper back then. It was a different time. <laughs> it was like 50 cents to go to yeah, the show, right. probably. Now, Jeopardy! with Art Fleming ran until 1975. So in 1976, the only thing in Jeopardy! was Merv and Julianne's marriage. Oh, yeah. It feels like fame and fortune is what led to their eventual divorce that year. Mm. Julianne said in her interview with Flavana Review, quote, We had a lot of fun. He was a lot of fun when we met. As time went on, he got busier and more well-known. It just wasn't as much fun. Mm. Merv had grown accustomed to a life of luxury, which Julianne says she enjoyed, of course, but it all got to be a bit much. 
they were once invited to have lunch with Princess Grace Kelly in Monaco. And Julianne said that it was lovely and, quote, wonderful being waited on by all these footmen. Mm. But then she thought about being Grace Kelly and having to be in charge of all that and make sure everything was perfect all the time. And it just sounded overwhelming. She said, quote, luxury should be luxury, not every day. I mean, I kind of feel that. Seriously. That's why, like, I kind of never want to own a swimming pool. I mean, unless, you know, I can afford people to take care of it for me. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> that's the question is how rich mm-hmm. are you? Rich enough for the pool, but not rich enough for the person right. to take care of the pool. But then even then, if I'm paying somebody then, to take care of the pool, I got to keep up with them and make sure that they're doing it and schedule them. And yeah. at some point, I have to be paying attention to someone who's paying attention to all the people working for me. <laughs> Right. I have thought that before. You know, say we won the billion dollar lottery jackpot or something. Don't tell everybody. You would want. Well, we haven't won. So that's better. Yes, we (laughs) haven't won. Everybody We haven't won anything. (laughs) But I mean, you know, I always think like you would want to get somebody in charge of that money. Someone who knows how to handle that amount of money. But then I'm like, oh, but that's when that person starts stealing from you. And how do you know that they're not skimming off the top? And how do you even it's just crazy it's a or, you know, more money more problems like doing something illegal with that money that you then get in trouble yes, for exactly or not pay your taxes right. or something like that happens all the time or not it, all the time but it happens here's what's important just for our listeners out there if any of you win like you know a million dollars more in the lottery mm-hmm. don't go around sharing that with everybody you want to kind of stay anonymous contact me <laughs> i'll go over the steps with you we'll work it out i'll hang on to the ticket uh-huh. And um, and we'll make sure that everything is square, okay? You guys know where to reach me. Being real shady right now, I don't think y'all should trust what he's saying. Hey, hey, Ixnay on the eighty Shay. I'm I trying to get you, us a million no. dollars. <laughs> You're trying to turn us into fugitives. Look, at a certain point, you can buy your freedom. <laughs> That's clearly true. After their divorce, speaking of luxury, Merv decided to get a yacht because he always wanted one when they were married. Uh, but he decided to wait till after the divorce. Julianne was invited to come on it with their son and everything. And she said, quote, it was kind of nice to go on a yacht, but I'd rather have someone else take the barnacles off of it. Exactly what we're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Right? Ma- maintenance is real. A boat. I would own a pool before a boat. That's for oh, sure. Oh, very true. Everyone I know who ever owned a boat, nothing but trouble. I know. Everyone's like, the best thing to have is a friend with a boat. Yes. (laughs) Then you get to enjoy the boat without any of the stress of the boat. So if you own a boat, email ridiculousromance at (laughs) gmail.com. We'd like to come on your boat. (laughs) After divorcing Merv in 1976, Julianne was met with some hard truths. Even as a successful, wealthy white woman in Hollywood, she said she got pushed around because of her gender. And that sound means it's time for the Daily Double. The category is some bullshit. Oh, okay. What is your wager? Oh, uh, me? Um, I will say uh, uh, $32,000. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to make it a true Daily Double. You're putting it all out there. Everything I have, as if I have $32,000. As if, yeah. Okay, and your answer is... The day after Julianne's divorce, she went to put her credit cards in her own name, but the bank would not allow her to because she was this. Um, because she was real crazy. No, I'm sorry. Of course, it's because she was a woman. Oh. I'm sorry. That takes your score down to zero. Oh, not my (laughs) $32,000. The money you never had is now (laughs) never going to be yours. (laughs) Yeah, Julianne could not uh, because, you know, women were not allowed to open credit cards or even have their own bank accounts for a significant period of time. So Julianne said the very next day. She got a call from some friends who were starting a bank, and they asked if she was interested in getting involved. So obviously, Julianne's not the only one who was like, this sucks. (laughs) I don't like this system. Julianne sat up. She said, I'll be right down. Mm -hmm. And together, they started the first women's bank of California. And Julianne was instrumental in convincing celebrities to buy stock in the bank and open accounts, with their first member being Mrs. Brady herself, Florence Henderson. Oh, my God. You got to imagine if... Florence Henderson got into anything in the late 70s. Everyone is like, well, that's what I, yeah, I I could trust Mrs. Brady. Here's, here I go to Uh also do that. (laughs) (laughs) Then soon Jane Fonda, Phyllis Diller, Farrah Fawcett, and Anne Bancroft were all opening accounts there. And by late 1976, 
63% of the bank's shareholders were women, holding more than $1.5 million in stock. Wow. I mean, this really says there's a need, <laughs> you know. Right. For w- women were like, I'd like to control my finances, uh-huh. please and thank you. The bank's own board of directors didn't think women had enough experience with personal finance. So the women in charge put extra effort into making sure to help women manage their money, especially after a divorce. I find this a little ironic because women historically were in charge of household finances right, and like yeah. household budgeting and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So it's very funny to me to be like, well, you can handle it for a house, but like not for your house. Not for yourself. <laughs> not yeah. for yourself. Yeah. You'll do something crazy with it. Right. I, I don't understand that. But at any rate. It was just some bullshit as we that's the category we're in. <laughs> so, that well, yeah, I'm sense. sure these guys were like, well, sure, women can calculate groceries and pay the phone bill. Right. But managing a stock portfolio is clearly beyond the capacity of their tiny, tiny brains. How could they gamble arbitrarily? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like we do. <laughs> now, women from all over the world came to visit them to kind of learn how to open banks themselves. And soon similar banks were opening in Japan and countries in Africa. This is a cool legacy. Amazing, yeah. Oh, but wait a minute. We skipped over one of the most important games of all. I mean, (gasps) we just said that Jeopardy got taken off the air in 1975. So uh, what the heck have we been watching this whole time? Great question. With no answer. With no answer, right? (laughs) Well, of course, the show was rebooted in 1984, and Merv Griffin was right back at the helm. But this time, Art Fleming turned down the job. Art was very popular, and Merv needed a new host, who, of course, ended up being Alex Trebek. But Trebek didn't get the job on his own. Merv was pushed to hire him by an executive at NBC. That brings us to Final Jeopardy, and the category is Famous Redheads. All right, everybody, place your wagers, and we'll come back with the answer right after these messages. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Okay, welcome back to the show. Before the break, we gave you the category Famous Redheads. And here is the answer. 
this quirky comedian turned powerhouse TV executive had some explaining to do when Merv Griffin called her up for advice on finding a new host for Jeopardy. Contestants, uh, my single contestant, <laughs> contestant? I'm going to give you uh, two seconds to write your question down because uh, we're not paying for the Jeopardy music. <laughs> <laughs> so here's your song. And done. Diana, you were in the lead with $42 trillion. Uh, so <laughs> Cool. Well, you did very well on your daily double. I crushed it. <laughs> uh, so what is your response? Who is Carrot Top? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Carrot Top was actually not an NBC executive Damn. in 1984. I'm so sorry. Uh, you might not be coming back next week, but let's go ahead and find out what your wager was. $41 trillion. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. You'll be leaving with a measly trillion dollars today. Hanging my head in shame, let me tell you. <laughs> well, let's find out the real answer. So Merv was super nervous about replacing Art Fleming, who, of course, had been very popular. But the show was moving to Los Angeles. And among other reasons, Fleming was not willing to move. Sports Illustrated said in 1989 that Fleming hated the glitz and polish of the new L.A. show, saying, quote, People are more intelligent in New York. New Yorkers are alive with it. In California, there's no mental stimulation. <laughs> a typical conversation consists of, I've got a new diet. How's your <laughs> tennis game? Are those clothes from Gucci? And then you look at each other. <laughs> I love that. I love that Art Fleming's idea of a conversation in L.A. all ends with people just staring just in silence at each other. At like, what an indictment yeah. of L.A. We got nothing else to say. I've exhausted my conversations. I only have nothing to offer. Man, the L.A. New York feud. I guess that's been going on since Hollywood began, too. I know. Right. I always associate East Coast, West Coast with Tupac and Biggie. But no, it was Art Fleming. <laughs> First, it was Art Fleming. Art Art versus Trebek was the original. <laughs> Fleming v. Trebek was the West and East Coast battle originally. Wow. It changed a lot in the 90s. Maybe this is very Atlanta of me, but I like both of you guys. I think you're I think both you cool. each have a lot to offer. <laughs> Art Fleming also thought that the show was getting dumber and the answers were designed to lead the contestants into getting the questions right. Uh, okay. So anyway, Art was just like, I'm done with Jeopardy. I got nothing to do with Jeopardy. So needed somebody new. And who has all the right answers to TV's toughest questions? Mm. The one and only Lucille Ball. <gasps> That's Lucy. right. Our bestie Lucy. Oh, I love Lucy. Merv was friends with her. So he calls her up. He's like, listen, I got to replace Art. What am I going to do? And she said, oh, I know. You got to take this guy, Alex Trebek. Oh, amazing. Canadian. Uh -huh. Calm, eloquent. <laughs> right? Everyone loves him. <laughs> he had been hosting a ton of game shows before that point. Right? A classy yeah. gentleman. Right. <laughs> Trustworthy. <laughs> he had it all. What Everything do you want? He needed. What do you want? Oh, the rest is history, obviously. Trebek hosted the show until his own death in 2020. That's a long time. Yeah. I mean, he was like the guy. Yeah. Um, sad coincidence, though. Art Fleming died in 1995 from pancreatic cancer. And Trebek died from the same disease 25 years later at 80 years old. Oh, no. Well, Merv Griffin continued to have a very successful career. And when he retired in 1986, Forbes magazine said that he was the richest Hollywood performer in history. Wow. Merv himself said that he never knew his own net worth because, quote, it would keep me from sleeping at night. <laughs> like, Don't tell me. I, he's like, I'm remembering selling newspapers as a kid door yeah, to door, right. and I feel like I would not like myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> From the Jeopardy theme song Think Alone, which he wrote, he said that he made close to 70 to 80 million dollars. Whoa. Again, they will not be seeing a penny from us <laughs> for that right. song. I'm sorry y'all can't hear it today. <laughs> we are not going to play it. Uh, Merv was best friends with Ava Gabor from the mid 80s until her death in 1995. But she said that they had never been lovers. Now, Julianne moved to a farm in Fluvanna County, Virginia in 1988, where she installed a tennis court and she would invite her friends to come visit and play. Those friends, oh, no one important, just some riffraff. 
uh, like an old actor buddy from her teenage theater days when she did Summerstock named Jerry Silberman. Who ever heard of that guy? Boring. Sounds like a real nobody. Except later he would change his name to Gene Wilder. Gene, you got me again. <laughs> Gene Wilder and his wife, Gilda Radner, along with their friends, Mel Brooks and his wife, Anne Bancroft, would come and play tennis with Julianne every Sunday for 15 years. Oh, my God. She said all the time they spent together, they never stopped laughing. I would learn of tennis course. just to play with I them. Know, right? like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't like to run and stuff, but like, I'll do it for y'all. <laughs> I'm not into sports, but I am very into young Frankenstein. So, Oh, my God. So good. <laughs> and Julianne and Merv remained close friends their whole life, despite the divorce. She said, quote, he loved my family and I loved his. So we'd have lots of family get togethers. He'd take us all on trips. He loved to play games, which I didn't. I still don't. <laughs> she laughed at herself for this because games are kind of her whole thing. Right. <laughs> I get that. I don't love games either. So right. But I, you you I haven't understand. made millions of dollars creating games. Very true. So I'm allowed to dislike them. <laughs> yeah. They have done. What have you done for me, games? <laughs> she said it was like being a chef. She's like, you love giving food to other people, but you don't want to go home and cook. I, I see you know, that. Or I, I don't like that. or I don't like eating it that much. Mm -hmm. I like I, I could see really enjoying making up the rules and like the yeah. structure of a game. But being like, I don't want to play it. Right. Right. <laughs> I don't like to compete. Watching people have fun playing the game you Ugh. made and going, whatever. You're, I'm so glad you guys are having fun, but it looks awful. <laughs> How tedious. <laughs> Who came up with this garbage? Who did this? <laughs> You get the answers and give the questions. Whose dumb idea was that? <laughs> Keep She's me like out of slapping it. herself. <laughs> So yeah, Julianne helped create Jeopardy. She also helped Merv on some of his other shows. And she and her sister later started a game company called Jam and Candy. In 1992, when TV game shows were kind of drying up, Julianne read in the paper that people were starting to make games on PCs. She said, quote, so I called up my sister and said, Maureen, do you want to start making games for PCs? Maureen said, what's a PC? And I said, I'll call you back when I find out. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> What's a PC? Uh, uh, I'll look it up that's on a so, PC. That's so Hollywood, though. You know, like, right? I never heard of this thing before, but let's go make some money at it. True, true, true. Yeah. She's like, it's the next big thing. Uh -huh. Gotta figure it out. Now, Merv Griffin passed away in 2007 at 82 years old from prostate cancer. His tombstone reads, I will not be right back after these messages. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so great. I love a good a good joke on a tombstone. Me too. Did we already talk about Jack Lemons? I don't I don't think on the air, no. His tombstone says Jack Lemon in <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I was like, what a perfect joke. Yeah. I love it. But after Merv Griffin's death, a Hollywood reporter published an article saying that Merv Griffin had been a closeted gay man. Oh. Reporter Ray Richmond said that Merv lived his life in the closet, but that it was always a well-known secret in Hollywood. Merv himself always dodged questions about his sexuality. He even joked to New York Times once, quote, I always tell everybody I'm a quarter sexual. I'll do anything with anybody for a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> Just like boomer answer. Mm, right. I'd be like, <laughs> you should value yourself more highly. <laughs> right. A lot of this first came up when, in 1991, a man named Brent Plott, who was an employee of Merv's who worked as a bodyguard, a horse trainer, and a driver, filed a $200 million palimony lawsuit against Merv Griffin. He said that he was Merv's lover and his business consultant for years and was entitled to a piece of Merv's empire, according to New York Times. Plot told NBC News, quote, we lived together, shared the same bed, same house. He told me he loved me. Hmm. Now, palimony is a not not technically a legal term, but it's a portmanteau of pal and alimony. It refers to situations where the involved parties aren't married, mm -hmm. but it is, you know, referenced in the courtroom pretty often. And there are cases where, it, you know, people have won these lawsuits. Hmm. And that same year, 91, Danny Torrio, who was the host of Merv's 1970s disco show Dance Fever, filed an $11.3 million sexual harassment suit against Merv for his behavior back on Dance Fever. Mm -mm. Yeah. Well, both cases were dismissed. 
Merv said of Plot's claims, quote, This is a shameless attempt to extort money from me. This former bodyguard and horse trainer was paid $250 a week, lived in one of two apartments underneath my former house as part of his security function, and left my payroll six or seven years ago. His charges are ridiculous and untrue. Hmm. But Ray Richmond says in Hollywood Reporter that these scandals only pushed Merv further into the closet. He writes that Merv, quote, certainly didn't owe us an explanation, but maybe he owed it to himself to remove the suffocating veil he'd been forced to hide behind. Then again, Merv carved his niche in the entertainment world at a time when being gay wasn't okay, when disclosure was unthinkable, and the allegation alone could deep six one's career. Huh. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this this is a tough one because, you know, I'm sort of uh like well believe victims you know what i mean yeah of course and of course someone with a lot of money is gonna yeah say whatever they gotta say and the richest man in hollywood you know it's believable that he could get a case dismissed easily you know fairly easily on the other hand this is sort of the what's wrong with uh, that's the problem is is saying oh there's a certain sexuality it's not okay to be so i can blackmail you i yeah. can do anything i want to you and yep. all i have to do is do this one accusation and yeah. everyone will believe me instead of you because of the associations that they have right if i suggest that you're a sexual deviant or mm-hmm. abusive or 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 a pervert or anything like that the the public and the courts will believe it merely right. because I'm saying you're gay. Yeah. yeah, and they they already believe they think of that as a deviant right. and as a perversion. So right. it's easy to believe that you could be capable of anything. On the third hand, <laughs> you know you got to look at plot and Terrio mm-hmm. both coming out and making these claims, probably bringing a lot of that same negative attention to themselves. That's true too. For having had. Uh, you know, especially Plot, who said, you know, I we slept in the same bed together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I don't know if he'd want to put himself through that for two hundred million dollars. Um, but uh, but it seems like a lot to to go through. It's very true. There's not a lot of reason to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if he wins the money, the, there's so much stigma. Right. Even in the 90s. Yeah. It's like, why would you do it if if you. You know, if you, yeah. it wasn't really true. Right. But then on the fourth hand, you have a lot of money and people want a piece of it. Yeah. So they find a way to get a piece of it. Yep. Uh, it's just frustrating. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, that's really all the information there is out there about it because the cases were dismissed. Of course. I'm sure Merv did what he could to get it out of the news as much as he could. And right. being one of the most wealthy and powerful people in Hollywood, <laughs> he mean, probably yeah. had those connections to keep it out of the news. Yeah. Yeah. Up in the air. I I could not speculate on this one. Well, and that's part of Ray Richmond's story in Hollywood Reporter. You know, he doesn't bring it up till after his death. And it's immediately after his death. And he points that out. He's like, it's weird that in 2007, we can't even talk about it, you know? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. On on the plus side, that article from 2007 laments the challenges of being gay in Hollywood. And Richmond writes, quote, while it seems everything has changed today, little actually has. You can count on the fingers of one hand the number of high-powered stars and public figures who have come out. Yeah. Uh, hopefully that seems better now than it was in 2007. Right, I right. think there's more than one <laughs> one hand's worth of out gay celebs it now doesn't, you or know, bisexual or whatever. But I'm not a gay celebrity. I, I'm not an aspiring uh, gay actor, so I can't say what the challenges are like now. But from an outside perspective, it does seem like it's you can come out as gay now and not be as worried about your career. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think there you still run the risk of like, well, if audiences see you as gay, they're not going to believe you in this romantic part or whatever. So it still may very well uh, cut off some of your audience or, uh, you know, limit the number of roles that you're available for. Right. I think that probably that. is still true, but certainly not like, you know, even, yeah, what feels very recent, 2007, where, yeah, I mean, it was it was people were still murmuring about someone like, ugh, I hate to say it, but Kevin Spacey, you know, mm-hmm. um, at the time where the biggest scandal about him was that, like, I think he's gay. Is he ever going to say so? Mm. You know, obviously, with new like, scandals about actually, Kevin Spacey now, but <laughs> it's more much worse. <laughs> he's a bad example, given the conversation we were just having. But I know I'm like, mm. I'm kind of thinking because I also was going to mention being typecast. If you're gay, you can't. Or if you're an out gay actor, right. you know, they won't put you in a in a heterosexual love story or right. something. 
And I immediately was like, well, Neil Patrick Harris, you know, played a straight man and everyone knows he's gay and married and everything. But on the other hand, his those roles are how I met your mother and Harold and Kumar. They're comedy roles. It's like part of the fun of the Mm. role is that, you know, he's not interested in these ladies. So he can play this really dirty, disgusting, womanizing character. Yeah. In a way that like maybe a straight guy couldn't do as easily or. Um, or it just wouldn't be as funny. Especially Harold and Kumar. The the joke is like, surprise, I'm not actually gay. Yeah, I actually He's, did. I'm the worst straight person <laughs> in the world. So as of this recording, Julianne is still alive at 93 years old. She's living on her farm in Virginia. Jam and candy games still seems to be kind of going. It's like got oh. a, a small active presence. They've got a, a couple of little mobile and Facebook games out there like Kiss and Cousins with two Ks. And another one called Move Your Vowels. Okay. Move Your Vowels <laughs> is number one pun. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> but what is Kissing Cousins about? Like, I what is the game did exactly? Not, uh, I did not try it. I did not you're not supposed to kiss game. your cousin, as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know some royals would <laughs> disagree. Uh-oh. That's for a later episode. <laughs> El Julian told the Fluvana Review in 2016 that the game company hadn't made any money but they would like to start hiring people, so it'd be nice if they did. But she said she'd learned enough from show business that you can't set your expectations too high for anything, really. Mm. But then when she was asked about the best part of her life, she said, quote, that's too hard to answer. I liked my waitress job because what it did for me, people say that when you serve others, you're serving yourself. That's true. I loved my marriage, my son, my family. I'm glad I got the farm. The tennis court changed my whole life. It's almost like when I was born, I was put in a magical chariot and went through life like an idiot being blessed with all these opportunities. My life has been unbelievable. I agree with Julianne. She, her life has been unbelievable. Uh, yeah, tennis court would change my life, too, if Mel Brooks started hanging out there. I mean, and seriously, Bancroft. Gene Wilder Gilda and Radner. Gilda Radner coming over every week. Come on. What friends? That's a party I would crash in our time travel. Oh my god! Party, that would yes. be way more noticeable. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, they'd like, in the background. What are you doing here? Um, but if I could, I would. Uh-huh. <laughs> if I could blend in, I would definitely go and laugh. <laughs> be a fly on the wall. Oh my god! Oh, it sounds amazing. Oh my god! I love it. This story. Like, in some ways, it reminds me, of course, of Lucy and Desi. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways, it reminds me of George Lucas and Marsha. Yeah. Right? Because they both, um, uh, other stories where the, you know, the couple was both involved in this massive project. Lucy and Desi, a little different because, of course, both of them got their own due credit in their own ways, I think. Right. If anything, Lucy got more. And I think Desi was lacking a little in, in what people understand him to have done mm-hmm. for the industry. But... This kind of in the George and Marsha way where it's like you hear Jeopardy and obviously the first name you think of is Alex Trebek. Right. And then if you know, you know, if you watch the show, you see Merv Griffin's name at every episode. Right. But who the hell has ever mentioned Julianne in talking about Jeopardy? And the whole thing was kind of her idea, or at least she was, you know, the two of them really developed it together. Right. I mean, if her story's right, she's the one who's like, well, give them the answer then. Uh, I don't know. Put them in jeopardy. Like, (laughs) she's totally coming up with the whole thing. Exactly. And (laughs) she's, you know, she, their divorce was relatively amicable from what I could tell. They they did stay friends their whole life, which I loved, like Lucy and Desi. Right. Um, But it's not like she came out later and was like, actually, Jeopardy was my idea. Give me the money. You know, she was just like, yeah, we, we were a couple and he asked me what I thought and I told him and we made this show. Well, I'm glad we know about Julianne now. Right. Because I think that's really cool. And again, what a cool life. Seriously. Just to even be on a 60s show. To, I know. You know, cutting it up with the host. Uh-huh. <laughs> that would be such a fun gig. <laughs> By accident, too, By right? Accident, like you exactly. screwed up on camera. I don't know. It reminds me of The Simpsons where Bart does I Didn't Do It. He like went out on Krusty's show and he accidentally knocked a set over. Oh, right. And then he says, I didn't do it. And everyone laughed. <laughs> and then he was like, got famous for that i love it too because you know she she was nervous and then she spills the coffee and she's like Ugh, 
I'm fired. You know, uh-huh. she must have had like a thought on her head like, well, I <laughs> yeah. did the thing I was scared I would do and now I'm screwed. Yep. But then she was just funny She's on just funny. the mic. Yeah. And it was like, that's all you need. So, uh-huh. I, you know, that's just I, I guess that's the magic of the TV movie biz. That's what makes it kind of addictive is that sometimes the most random little thing yeah. just sends you off into a journey that you never expected. Uh, and that's amazing. what people are like. I want that. <laughs> right. I want that. I want that. So everybody tell your friends about the show so we can get yeah. a TV show Let out of this. Spill some coffee on screen. <laughs> <laughs> Give real. me a chance. I can spill coffee as good as anyone. <laughs> Don't tell my old boss at the breakfast place. <laughs> I used to work Let's get you on Jimmy Kimmel. You can spill coffee all over him and see what happens. Well, I do hope that Merv Griffin was not a big piece of shit also. I know, right? Um, but obviously not for us to decide, I suppose, because yeah. I don't have enough information. Yeah. I, we can we can both not say those people were lying and not say, you know, mm-hmm. Merv Griffin was guilty or innocent. Yeah. And just leave that one there. That one's, yep. <laughs> that one's for you to decide. You enter your own speculation station. Oh. Decide for yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Merv ain't here, so. <laughs> yeah. In fact, hey. Write in and tell us what you think. There you go. About Merv Griffin. Write in and tell us uh, how much you're going to tell your friends about the show. And write in and tell us if you won the lottery. Oh, my God. Or Jeopardy. Or Jeopardy. I what Another thing I want to do hmm. uh, in an episode coming up, there are several couples who fell in love on Jeopardy as contestants. Aww. And, of course, I'd love to talk about Alex Trebek and his marriage to Gene also. So oh, yeah. we'll, we'll get into some more Jeopardy stuff on the show. Totally. I got I have. I have. One, two, three, four people I know have been on Jeopardy. Wow. Which I feel like makes me smarter. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. My fifth grade teacher, Mr. Green. Smarter by association. Yeah. Mr. Yeah. Green, uh, my my high school girlfriend was later on Jeopardy. Friend of mine from college and another friend from high school was on a couple years ago. I don't think I know anyone who's ever been on Jeopardy. Well, you know somebody who knows people who've been on Jeopardy, so... Close enough. You're a little smarter by association. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'm the smart one, and everyone's waiting for me to be on Jeopardy. Have you thought about that? Great. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We watched an episode... No one is waiting for me to be on Jeopardy. No, we watched that episode last night, and you you knew the answer so well, you didn't even feel like you needed to respond. (laughs) I felt like that was pretty impressive. Yeah, because I was definitely paying attention. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You were scrolling on your phone like, whatever. Yep. Council of Mycia. Anyway, uh, whatever. <laughs> heard about Madeline Langle. Uh-huh. And that's the one I knew. <laughs> yeah, that's the one you <laughs> the knew. The Wrinkle in Time. That's the one I knew. Sam, I think his name was Sam. If you're listening, I did the same thing you did. And the final Jeopardy question uh, was supposed to be, what is our American cousin? The, oh, yeah. The play that Abraham Lincoln was shot at. And he said... What is our mutual friend? Which is what I guessed. That's but right. that's the Charles Dickens book. He also, as soon as he, they said no, he's like, oh, he knew it. He knew it. He remembered it. He which it. I was like, that would be me. That would definitely be me. <laughs> that's why I don't like games. Because right. I'm like, the minute you ask me, like, what's your favorite book? Or whoever did that song? It's like everything I ever knew is wiped clean from my brain. I'm like a newborn. <laughs> like, I'm calling. I never heard of songs. I'm calling bullshit once again because <laughs> Diana Brown hates games she hates playing them she doesn't want to do them if i ever suggest it she's like no anything but that but when you get her to play a game she wins every time every game from settlers of Catan to <laughs> mortal Kombat. this girl dominates but she won't play i don't know why you don't like the feeling of winning maybe they're not challenging enough <laughs> wow there it is i'm just kidding i don't know <laughs> there it is folks I don't like to compete, and I do get competitive, so I think I get yeah. mean sometimes. You've said some things. I've said some things. <laughs> that cut a little deep. So, <laughs> But I usually laugh. I know. You've always told me to get a Twitch and just drive on oh Grand Theft God. Auto. And Seriously, you scream the wildest <laughs> things. It's shocking, but hilarious. I'm also a really bad driver, so I crash every time. In the game. In, in real life, game. you're a in good driver. In real life, I'm a good driver, yeah. but in Grand Theft Auto and Mario Kart, honestly, any it's any driving game, chaos. it is not working out. It's hilarious. <laughs> I'm doing poorly. We do have to start that Twitch. It'll do better than this show. I'm telling you. <laughs> it'll be it'll top of the charts. <laughs> well, as long as there's no one to be harmed by my... yeah. 
my competitive yeah. streak, I'm happy to do it. As long as you don't find out that it's like war games and the whole time you've been playing, there's been a car out there somewhere doing the actual thing you're doing. Oh my God. Well, but let us hope that you enjoyed this episode because yeah. this was really fun. I love learning more about TV people and TV history and Jeopardy and love this stuff. Julian and she started that bank. Which oh my is, God, right? She helps out that bank, which is so dope. Seriously. Anyway, reach out and let us know what you thought. Or again, if you want Eli to steal, I mean, uh, uh, manage your lottery winnings, <laughs> this is our email address. Uh, what is ridicromance at gmail.com? That's correct. The next category is social media. You can find Diana on Twitter and Instagram at this handle. What is at Dynamite Boom. And you can find Eli on Twitter and Instagram at this handle. Uh, what is at Oh Great, it's Eli. And you can find the show Ridiculous Romance on its own handle. What is who is at Ridic Romance? Who Why is? is at Ridic Romance? <laughs> Don't ask that. <laughs> That's right. At Dynamite Boom, at Oh Great It's Eli, at Ridic Romance. We can't wait to hear from you, and we love you for spending time with us today. That's right. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.